you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screen uh, here in just a moment. Um, and um, what I'd like to do today, actually, um, uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to to read that scripture and chat about it a little bit this morning. So let's let's start with prayer. Um, Father, we uh, we thank you this morning for um, just being so good to us, um, for being our righteousness, Jesus, um, for washing us clean and um, making us pure. We thank you for doing in us um, and for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And um, we pray this morning as we get into your word, Lord, that we would more clearly see how great you are, how mighty you are, um, how wonderful you are, that we would have a great deal of clarity in that, and um, as a result, fall more in love with you and want to give you more of ourselves. So um, please remove the calluses from our hearts and our eyes, um, from our minds, and um, let us, um, Father, um, be a clay that can be molded by you this morning. So this time is yours. We are yours. We thank you for it and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, and um, verses 9 to 12 is, is where we're going to hone in this morning. So uh, I'll go ahead and read that, and then uh, we're going to talk about it for a few minutes, and we are going to, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today together as, as a family. So, um, but this, this is what, what we find there, starting in verse 9. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. So, um, in the Jewish faith, an uh, Old Testament Israel, there was um, there's this word. It's called karbanot, and it's usually translated as sacrifices or offerings. And it's a general word describing sacrifices and offerings that the Jewish people would bring uh, and surrender to to God. Um, and um, when, when it's kind of shared, when it's used, it suggests the loss of something or giving up of something. Uh, and, and although that, that is certainly part of the ritual, losing and, and giving up, um, it's, it's not necessarily the little, literal word of the word carbonate. Um, the actual, it actually um, comes from the root of a Hebrew word, which I am going to even butcher more, um, it's kofresh bait, which means to draw near. And, and it, when we look at the root of that word, um, that carbonate or offerings or sacrifices come from, what we, what we come to understand is, is not just what we do by giving an offering, but the purpose of it. The purpose of it in the Jewish mindset was to draw them to God to draw them closer to him. 
Actually, there were. It was known in, in Jewish life that there were three general kind of purposes for for offerings. Um, one um, uh, was uh, that we um, would it, it, it entailed the, the idea of giving. We the, the one of the purposes is to give. It's and it's a it's a personal giving. It's a, a renunciation of something that you have. It's not uh, you don't go and you find a wild animal that's out kind of roaming around and then you bring that to God. You have to give of something that you own that you earned that was yours. And then an, another important concept or, or purpose or element of of offerings was substitution. And we see this in, in temple life in, in Old Testament, in the Old Testament in Israel's life, where um, the, the offering or the sacrifice would be substitutionary. It would kind of cover over or cleanse them. Uh, that it was standing in their place, um, basically. And then the third important concept is the one that we just we just mentioned, and it gets to the root of the word, and it's it's drawing closer or to, to God, being drawn to Him, uh, developing that relationship that you have with Him, and that that's the essence of, of the sacrifice. It was to bring you closer to to God Himself. Offerings in in Jewish life kind of consisted of one of those elements or a combination of them. Um, and for for New Testament Christians, um, the second kind of element of of the sacrifice, that substitutionary piece, was accomplished by Jesus on the cross, and it was accomplished fully and permanently. He died for our sins once and for all, and because of that, and because of the magnitude of it, because it could cover everybody's sin all throughout history, every one of them, we no longer have to bring sacrifices to atone for what the wrong that we've done. So that, that one's covered. Um, and, and John talked about this, 1 John 2.2. 2, he says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, John says, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yet while Jesus satisfied God's wrath and he made us right with God, God still desires that his people renounce themselves and come closer to him. Those other two purposes or elements of sacrifices and offerings in Jewish life. Those haven't gone away. God doesn't, God doesn't want you to, to stay far away from him, and he doesn't want you to live for yourself. Now that Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead, he still wants those other two pieces to be alive and active in our faith. In Deuteronomy then 16, where we read this morning, in verse 10, that's the one I really want to focus in on this morning, that verse there. We find it, 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 the, is, the Jewish people are instructed to celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. The idea of this gift, this offering, encompasses the two remaining pieces that we just talked about. Drawing closer to God and a renunciation of yourself, giving to him sacrificially. At his inauguration on January 20th, 1961, President John F. Kennedy spoke to 20,000 Americans gathered in Washington, D.C. in 20-degree weather and with a snowy backdrop. And near the end of his inspiring speech came the most memorable words that maybe he has ever spoken. Um, when he went on and he said this, he said, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not 
what your country can do for you. There you go. They ask what you can do for your country. And then he continued by addressing his international audience. And he went on, he said, my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. It was this kind of call um, to the world, specifically Americans, but to the world in general, to not live for ourselves, but to live for others. To live for, for something bigger and, and greater than yourself. To, to refocus, if you will. And these words kind of encapsulate the sentiment of, of the offerings that, that we give. That, that's, that's part of the purpose of, of, of the offering. Say, it's not, when, when we give to God, um, it's not about us. It takes the attention off of us and it puts it on him. So often we make, we, we make the mistake of making the central figure of the gospel ourselves. The gospel is about me. It's about how it, I am saved. How, how I was dead and now I'm alive. But the central figure of the gospel is not us. The central figure of the gospel is Jesus. And, and, and it loses its power when we take our eyes off of Him, when it becomes about us. Just like America loses its power when we take our eyes off the bigger picture and we put them on what we can get and, not about, and it's not about what we can do. That, 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 that idea, that theme, comes from the gospel. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's all about God. Everything that we do should revolve around Him. The word translated in Deuteronomy 16.10 as free will offering is found in other places throughout the Old Testament. I'm just going to share two with you this morning. One of them is in Hosea. And Hosea uses the word to describe God's love for His people. In 14.4 he, said, he says, I will hear their... I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from him. And then the psalmist in Psalm 54, 6 says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. It's this this idea of, of giving freely, holding nothing back. It's, it's about, not, about it not being concerned with you, but being concerned with Him. The festival of weeks that, that where this um, text in Deuteronomy 16 um, falls and is, is discussing this, this festival that the Jewish, Jews celebrated um, uh, is significant to the Jews in two major ways. It's, it's an agricultural um, kind of festival, and it commemorates the time when the first fruits were harvested and brought to the temple. And historically, it celebrates the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So when, when, when God gave the people the laws, the law, and it, it's noteworthy that this holiday is a time where they celebrate the giving of the Torah and not the receiving of the Torah. It's very important. In the Jewish mind, they weren't celebrating getting something. They were celebrating God's gift to them of something. Additionally, 
this holiday falls 50 days after the Passover feast. Therefore, Hellenistic Jews named it Pentecost from the Greek word pente, which means 50. So we talked about Pentecost last Sunday, even though it was like two weeks before that. Um, and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, but that wasn't actually like a Christian like holiday that was going on that. It was a Jewish festival that was going on. And it was 50 days after the Passover. And so um, it, the interesting thing is, is this. Um, on, on the first Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, it was the first one after he had died and ascended, um, God again gave to his people. So, so Pentecost for the Jew was a celebration of God giving the Torah. And it's interesting that on Pentecost, their celebration of God giving the Torah to them, God again gave to his people through the Holy Spirit. And our celebration now of Pentecost consists of a celebration of God giving himself, his Holy Spirit, to his people on that day. And and now because of that, God doesn't merely tell us what to do, but now we are equipped through his power to actually do what he wants us to do. Now here's the really cool and incredible and and challenging part. God had instructed his people to celebrate the festival of weeks, or Pentecost, to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. John Calvin once commented, God requires not mere ceremonies of those who serve him, but he is satisfied only with sincerity of heart with faith and holiness of life. And King David once said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not require. And then uh, a little bit later in the Psalms in 51, he says this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The point that David and later Calvin are making is that God is less concerned with the offerings that we give and more concerned with the heart of the giver. The heart drives the gift. This truth in conjunction to the teaching in Deuteronomy 16 sheds a great deal of light on our stewardship, on our giving in 21st century life. We are also to give in proportion to the blessings that the Lord has given us, just like the Jews were to do at their Pentecost celebration. When the eyes of our heart are open by the Holy Spirit and they're fixed on Jesus, we realize that he has given us far more than he should have, far more than we could ever expect, and infinitely more than we could ever deserve. We've been blessed literally beyond measure. Knowing that's the case, our hearts should be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude for what God has done for us. And in response to how God loves us, 
we should be completely committed to serving and following him, worshiping him, and giving to him of everything that we have. Because our gift should be in proportion to what he has given us, and he has given us everything. There should be nothing that we hold on to. Something very special happens when we give in this way. When this becomes our heart, when, when we are so overwhelmed with the beauty of who God is and what he has done, and how we realize how drastically he has changed our life, that he has not just changed, that he has brought us life. Something very special happens when we start to give in response to that, when we give sacrificially. Rather than becoming jaded and resentful, always thinking as we're putting money in the plate or giving online or however, or, or, or coming and serving on a Sunday morning after you've been up late the night before, the Saturday night before, or, or week after week after week after week teaching and training our young people uh, with very little thank yous, <laughs> or cleaning the building, or I don't know, one of a, or mowing the lawn, or, or, or t- taking care of your family as an act of worship. Like you love your family and you train your family and you do it day in and day out, and sometimes your children or maybe your spouse isn't in, in, incredibly grateful for what you've, you, you're, you're doing, but you do it over and over and over again because it's not about them and it's not about you, it's about Him. And so you sacrificially give. And, and, and when we do that with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we do it in response to what he's done for us, rather than becoming jaded and resentful, we are drawn even closer to him. It goes back to those, those kind of principles of giving that the Jews had, those three, and saying how the one has been accomplished by Christ on the cross, but... The giving sacrificially and the giving in order to be drawn close to him are still applicable to us today as believers. And when we do that, that's what happens. And that's the challenge before us right now. It's a challenge before you here today. This, this sermon, this text, isn't about getting more money from you. It's not at all what this is about. This text, this word for us today, is about us giving more of ourselves to God holistically. That may encompass your money, like that may be a part of part of it, but I am firmly convinced it's not all of it. Because What we and, and there's great benefit to this. We don't do it to get, but what I think we find is when we do it for the right reasons, um, we do receive. Um, it's funny because rather than having less, when we give away sacrificially, we end up having more. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Like, um, so I um, took the youth. On this, Jackie and I took the youth on this mission trip last week, and Luke said to me this morning about day two, you look like a different person, John. Like, like, because I was tired. Like, I had, I, I don't do well on very little sleep, and I had like four hours sleep the first two days, and I, I was struggling. And I'm an introvert, so putting me like for like 
24-7 around other people with no me time is a real stretch for me, right? Um, And so I came out of that week completely drained. But I also came out of it completely invigorated. Like, I gave myself away, but as much as I gave, crazy thing is, God gave me back. And He doesn't give me back. He doesn't always give you back in the way you give. I think that's where we miss things sometimes. Sometimes we think, well, if I give a lot of money, then I'm going to get a lot of money. And that's actually not really the case, probably. I mean, maybe. I don't know. He could do that for you. But that's not a guarantee. But when you give a lot of yourself in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through your time or your talents or your gifts or your service, you are you receive a lot back, but it may not, it's not like an apples for apples kind of thing. Does that make sense? But you always receive more because, it, because it's like it's a it's a scriptural truth, it's a scriptural principle, it's like a design principle, like it's the way God has designed for these things to work. Just like I put 25 cents in a candy machine and I turned the crank and a piece of candy came out. Because that machine was designed when I put 25 cents in that I would get a piece of candy out. And God has designed things so that when we give sacrificially to Him, we get even more back. But it's not a direct translation. And and, and Jesus says this. Paul quotes him in Acts chapter 20. Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than it is received. Like, it's great to give, but what you receive, like what you get back for giving, like the blessing from giving is even greater. It's designed that way. So I'm going to close in like, I'm going to shoot for like five minutes. Before I close, I, I feel like I need to touch on one issue that sometimes prevents us from giving to the Lord freely. Um, there's this, this phobia called um, missiophobia. It's the fear of dirt. Didn't even know that was a thing, but it's a thing. It's like a real thing. Hydrophobia, guess what that one is? Fear of water, there you go. Um, acrophobia, Heights. Of course, Nancy knows these. She's like, you can't even play. You can't play. That's not fair. Okay. Uh, 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 taxophobia, not the fear of taxes. Not the fear of taxes. It's the fear of, of, of the debt, or I'm sorry, of being buried alive. Yeah, I know. Kind of gross. Uh, xenophobia, the fear of strangers. Necrophobia, anybody know what that one is? Fear of, de- of the dead. Uh, claustrophobia, fear of being confined. How about this one? Peniophobia. Nancy, you know what that one is? Oh, I stumped her. All right, peniophobia. The fear of poverty or becoming impoverished. Each of these things is a diagnosable phobia. Um, some of them are clinically handled. Others are just more, they don't need to be. But anyway, all that to say, while I, I'm not sure that any of us suffer from a, like a clinical case of peniophobia, the fear of poverty. I'm pretty sure that some of us today suffer a less severe case, but one that is just as damaging to our spirits. Let me break that down. Um, when our held, hearts are held hostage to a fear 
to this fear, if I give this to God, I'm not going to have what I need. It may be money, but it may not be. If I give God this portion of my time, I'm not going to have it to do this. If I, if I, if I, I'm not going to have it to work. And if I can't work during that piece of time, then I'm not going to be able to do this, and then I'm not going to be able to do this, and I'm not going to be able to do this. And the fear goes on and on and on. It's all these things. It's a fear of some type of poverty. And what the way the, the technical definition is a fear of like financial poverty, but I think it's bigger than that for us. We fear giving to the Lord because if we give it to Him, we won't have it for ourselves, and we may need it in order to do something. And generally that something boils down to something we really want. And most often, it's not a healthy one. I don't know many of us that say, I'm afraid to give God this part of my life because if I do, I won't have it to give to him later. Like, or I won't have it to invest in this part of the kingdom if I invest it in this part of the kingdom. It's usually if I invest it there, I won't have it for me. Fear paralyzes our stewardship. I'm pretty sure um, the evil one is trapping some of you today through fear in your giving. And um, he's actually enslaving you to it. I don't use that word lightly. Um, I have friends who are African-American, best friends who are, and um, they still struggle. They're still discriminated against. um, And they're hurt. They lose jobs and opportunities. And it's just terrible. And slavery kind of facilitated some of that a long time ago. And the effects of it are still happening today. So I don't use that word lightly. But fear quite literally is enslaving some of you to unholy living and keeping you from freedom in Christ and joy. And that's not God's desire. Listen to this. This is from Micah 3.10. It's probably a very familiar scripture for many of you. And it was written to Israel, but I think the principle still applies. And it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. And then he goes on and he says, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. He's saying, love me first, in essence. Give to me first. Love me by giving me all of yourself. And when you do that, just just wait and see how I am going to bless you way more than you've ever given me. And um, in Psalm 50, we find these words, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. 
Sometimes I think, I feel if I give this part of, of what I, I have to the Lord that I'm not going to have it for myself, or maybe he's not going to be able to give it back because he needs it for something else. But the truth of the matter is, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows all of the insects. And if he was hungry, he wouldn't come to us for food because he has way more than he ever needs. He could take care of himself and he could take care of us. He's got limitless resources. We could quote other scriptures as well, but... Point is, God desires us to worship Him through giving. Giving financially, giving of our time, giving of our energy, giving of our talents. And what He promised Israel, he, He's promising to us as well. It's more blessed to give than it is receive. You receive more when you give than if you try to hold on to it yourself or just take for yourself. And there's great joy in it. Paul actually said that. He says, look, whoever sows sparingly, whoever gives of themselves sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He wants you to give generously knowing that as you walk by faith and not by sight and you encounter a need you have for him, he is going to fill up your coffers once again so you can give more. That scripture that I just read from, from that Paul, it was Paul's words, but um, what, what he says is, um, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times you have all that you need and will abound in every good work. In order to have this happen, to be able to sow generously and reap generously, our eyes can't be on us. They have to be on him. He gives us what we need for every good work. Not for every need that, or every want that you have, but so that you can do his will in this world. To accomplish that, we have to have our eyes fixed on him. So, um, just to close up here, I think when we fear keeps us from doing that, it is God is totally opposed to the fear. He wants to break the fear in our lives. It is not of Him, it is of the evil one. He wants to free us of the enslavement that we are to fear, we have to fear so that we can give freely. Um, And I think when that happens, something very beautiful begins to occur. We start to give sacrificially of ourselves. And when we can't give enough to seem to cover everything that needs to be covered, I'm not talking just financial again. This is in every way. It pains us that we can't give more. When we're enslaved to fear, it pains us when we have to give a little. But when that fear is broken and we're freed to worship God by sacrificially giving all of ourselves to him, it pains us when we can't give more. Because we have seen how great he is. And because our gift should be in proportion to what he has given us, we can never 
give enough. And so we live in this constant pursuit of figuring out how we can give more of ourselves to the Lord because of all that he has given us. So um, we're going to close today um, with the Lord's Supper. And um, when we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is remembering, at, at, at its core, we're remembering what Jesus has given us, what he has given up for us, what he has done for us. And as we gaze at that, the, the hope is for us who are believers, we're, we're, our, our attention is refocused. It's taken off of us and put onto him. We see the grandeur of what has been done and it compels us to give in proportion to the gift that was given us, and so we want to give all of ourselves back. So that's our hope today. I said earlier, I don't, this isn't about wanting more of your money. I don't want any of your money, personally. Um, what I really want for our church is for us to, day by day and week by week and year by year, see Jesus more clearly. And as we see him more clearly, to have like this enslavement to fear broken and have that result in us giving in proportion to the gift that was given us and us giving more of ourselves all the time to him. And I want that for our church because what the scripture tells us today is that's what God wants for his church. It's what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. So I really kind of want us to be poor in a way um, because in our poverty, God's economy is completely backwards. In, in our poverty, we find great wealth. I want us to be really wealthy in Jesus, and really poor in regard to the things of the world. Um, The way that really begins or continues for us, if we've already begun that race, is by keeping our eyes on Jesus and taking them off ourselves. That's a constant process, day by day, minute by minute, year by year. It never stops until we get to eternity. So this morning we're going to take a little time to refocus and to give Jesus some time to help us to make him number one and put ourselves second. We're going to do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper. When Jesus was last with his disciples at the Last Supper, he took some bread, he broke it. We've broken it for you. Um, And um, he passed it around to his disciples and said, Take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. And later in the meal he took the cup and he passed it around. Um, It was full of wine, ours is full of grape juice. But he said, Drink from this, all of you. He basically said, this is my blood poured out for you and for for many for the forgiveness of your sins. And he told us that as often as we eat the bread and take the cup, we're to remember and celebrate him. He is what binds us. He he is what drives us. He is what gives us life. And so today we're going to remember him.